For the reading of God's word this morning, please uh, open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll be reading this morning verses 6 through 10. Uh, And for those of you who have a Bible from the back, uh, that's on page 993. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. That's our text this morning. Paul Tripp writes the following, pastor and author. Quote, money is a powerful thing. On the one hand, it can expose me to danger. While on the other hand, it can be used of God to reveal the need of my heart. And through me to bless the lives of others. You and I will interact with money in some way. That interaction is one of the things that will set the direction of our lives. When it comes to money, scripture leaves little room for comfortable neutrality. Money will be a blessing to you or it will be a curse. It will be a tool in the hands of a God of grace, or it will be a doorway to bad and dangerous things. Like two sides of a physical coin, there are two spiritual sides to money. Each side calls to you. Each side holds before you a vision and promises. Each side asks not just for the investment of your money, but for the allegiance of your heart. The battle between the two sides of the money coin wages in the heart of every person this side of eternity. Money is a danger. Money is a blessing. What will it be for you? Where the rubber meets the road in everyday life, you will not answer the question once. No, you will have to answer it again and again as day after day you are greeted with false promises and truth, each voice telling you what to do with the money that's in your hand. Well, if it's true what... Paul Tripp writes that money can be both a blessing and a curse and that the use of it and the investment of it and the way we spend it will reveal the allegiance of our heart and it's going to be a battle that we're going to have to engage in day after day after day after day. Then what I'm mainly interested in this morning is not unpacking for you alone the meaning of a misquoted text, but it's to be after your heart this morning. Because I'm convinced that This text, along with all that the Bible says about money, is very, very relevant to us all the time. And we need to hear about it probably more frequently than we do. 
Well, here's where we're going to go this morning. My first couple of points of my sermon aren't going to so much touch on this immediate passage, 1 Timothy 6, but we're going to come back to it in the last two points. But the first two points are more going to be a survey of the book of Proverbs a little bit, because Proverbs is a very condensed book that has a lot to say about the subject of money. So if you want to hold your finger in 1 Timothy and go to the book of Proverbs, we're going to be there for just a little while this morning as we get started. So here's my outline, if you uh, care to follow along with it. First of all is the description of the love of money. We're going to look at some Proverbs on that. The detection of the love of money. In other words, how do we find out if we're guilty of loving money? Um, The danger of the love of money. And that's where we're going to transition over to 1 Timothy 6. And then deliverance from the love of money. And that's also in 1 Timothy 6. So let's start with the description of the love of money. Now, why is this verse included in our Twisted series? Well, I think it's obvious, but... This verse is misquoted a lot, right? Perhaps you've even heard it misquoted, right? It's never quoted, or I shouldn't say never, it is, but it's often misquoted as not the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, which is what the Bible says, but money is the root of all evil. That's the way we typically hear it quoted in our culture, but that's not what the text says. So sometimes verses are just misquoted because they're not quoted correctly. (laughs) Sometimes verses are misunderstood simply because they're not read carefully. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that it's not money in and of itself, but the love of money that is a root, not the only root, not the single root, of all kinds of evil, not just all evil. So there's three different emphases that need to be understood. The love of money, not money itself, a root, not the one and only root, and all kinds of evil, not just all evil. So why is money itself not the only root of all evil, besides the fact that the verse doesn't say that? Well, if we look at the book of Proverbs and other parts of Scripture, we understand that money, like Paul Tripp said in our opening quote, can be a great blessing. If it's a blessing, it's not evil in and of itself. In fact, Proverbs 10.22 says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. So lest we want to charge God himself with evil by giving people money, then that would be to say that God himself is evil. But we don't want to say that because we know throughout Scripture... That God makes people rich. Abraham, Job, Solomon, David, even Philemon in the New Testament. That little book at the end of our New Testament. The guy had a church in his house. Which means that his house was big enough to host a lot of people. So God does bring blessing to some in this way. And God also tells us in Proverbs 21... Verse 5, if you want to turn there, I'll just read the verse quickly. Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So get the difference. Poverty and abundance. Money, not having money. How do some people get it? They're diligent. They work hard. So sometimes hard work leads often to money, 
And it is encouraged by the Proverbs to be diligent and to work hard. But at the same time, Proverbs 30 verse 8 warns us to be careful with this blessing. And that depending on how our hearts handle it and how we respond to it, it can be a dangerous thing. Proverbs 38 leads the writer to pray the following. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So you notice wisdom dictates that we pray sometimes and that we pray especially in light of money and the potential blessing and the potential curse it could be to be wary of our hearts and be leery of the way that we could use it. That's why he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me lest I do things with that blessing or that poverty that would lead me to deny you. Obviously, money is a big topic in the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of the 39 parables that he spoke, 11 of them were on the topic of money. 11. That's almost a third of his teaching if we just take his, just take his parable, parables alone. So, the Bible says it can be a great blessing. We need to be very careful because of the way our hearts, fallen, sinful can respond to such things. So how can we tell? That's point number one, the description of the love of money. Okay? Point number two, the detection of the love of money. So how can we tell if we love it? If we love it? Well, Proverbs, I think, here helps us too. And I want to say three things about this. In summary, I think the best way to answer that question could be to step back and say, okay, what's the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us, right? To love God and to love others. So with everything in our lives, money being no exception, if we are using everything that God has given us, our gifts, our talents, our time, and our money, to love God and love other people, then we don't love it. Because we love God and we love others and we're using it. But to the degree that it keeps us from loving God and loving others, to that degree, we may very well be in love with it. Proverbs points this direction. Proverbs chapter 3, very familiar verse. Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10. Talk about the priority that we ought to have with our money. And what we do with it, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So obviously the priority with our money is to honor the Lord with it, to love the Lord our God with it. Where there is stinginess, miserliness, excessive frugality, and cautiousness, there can be a failure to honor the Lord with our wealth. Also, the absence of generosity 
can indicate that. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. So you get this in in Proverbs that our money is to be used to bless others, to enrich others, to water others. That, it's a, that it is an obligation upon us to not withhold what we should give, both to God and to others. So one way that we can tell if we love money is if there is an absence of generosity and a failure to honor God with our first fruits. Another way that we can detect the love of money is that we prioritize the pursuit of it over other pursuits. For instance, Proverbs 8.20 tells us that we should pursue wisdom more than riches. Proverbs 8.20. Actually, it's not 8.20. I must have written written down the wrong verse. It'll perhaps come to me in a minute. But there's several verses that I have written here. One is wisdom... Yielding better fruit than money. It's in Proverbs 8, I'm sure. It's just I've, I've miswritten down the, the text. But money can also um, keep us from greater spiritual concerns, namely the concerns of our soul. Now, Proverbs 11.4 says this, and I know I have this text right. I double-checked it. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. What's the priority? Righteousness. That which will deliver us from God's wrath. So the gospel and our souls and the condition of our life before God matters way more than money. But those who are jealous to pursue it as an end, of it, as an end in itself will ignore what is most fundamental and most important. Namely, finding a way to deliver yourself from the righteous, uh, the righteous wrath of God through the righteous life of Jesus. Also, fearing God is to be a primary pursuit before the pursuit of income and wealth. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. So better is little with the fear of the Lord, which is to be primary, which is to be main, main say. So the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of the fear of God, to love God, to love others, those pursuits are to be primary. And where those are not primary, beware lest the love of money be present. Also, not only can we detect the love of money by an absence of generosity, stinginess or prioritizing it over other pursuits, but also also with there's this hastiness and eagerness to seek to acquire it quickly. Proverbs warns, warns us about such things. Proverbs 23 verse 4 stresses us by reminding us, do not toil to acquire wealth. In other words, don't make the end goal of your work and your effort and your toil to make money. Don't make that the end goal. 
Be discerning enough to desist, Proverbs 23, 4. Proverbs 28, 20. Whoever hastens to be rich, hastens to be rich. There's the warning. Will not go unpunished. So there are other things we could say about that. And I know I certainly haven't said everything. But, a, but an absence of generosity, a prioritizing of the pursuit of money over other pursuits, and a general hastiness and eagerness to get it at all costs, whether it be through the lottery or hard work or whatever, but this, this eagerness to get after it as an end in itself is dangerous. Is dangerous. Because money is a window on what rules the heart. And there's no better way to tell what is ruling our heart than often how we handle our money. As Jesus reminded us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Archbishop William Temple once said that our religion is what we do with our solitude. And what he meant by that was what your heart runs to when it has a spare moment to think privately will often reveal what rules it. So in other words, if you were to stop yourself in the middle of the day in daydream mode, what's going on? What's occupying your mind? What's occupying your attention? What would you find out about you if you stopped yourself in a daydream? Are you thinking about making more money, buying more stuff, building a bigger house, getting rich quickly, or any other money-grubbing thing? What does your imagination lead you when you're privately in thought? When you get unexpected money, what's the first thing you want to do with it? Probing questions to ask ourselves. Author and finance teacher Ron Blue says, quote, A life story could be written from a checkbook. Your checkbook reflects your goals, your priorities, your convictions, your relationships, and even the use of your time. A person who's been a Christian for even a short while can fake prayer, Bible study, evangelism, going to church, and so on, but he can't fake what his checkbook reveals. So... Let God's searching word do its detective work in your heart. We are all rich by the, by, by the Bible's standards. And therefore, such talk gets preachers fired. But nonetheless, if a pastor truly cares about your heart and your soul then we will regularly go after this. And that's why I couldn't dismiss this from our series. I tried to find excuses for not preaching on this. Surely there are other verses that are more important. And the more I thought about it, the more convicted I became. That no, we have to talk about this. We have to address this from time to time. Not only and exclusively, because it's not all evil. But it is a root of all kinds of evil, and we want to be aware of it, and we want to attack it. We want to be delivered from it by God's grace day by day by day and released for a life that matters in loving God and loving others. So let's go to 1 Timothy 6 then and start with our third point, the danger of the love of money. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here in our text. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 10. And then hopping down to Paul's instructions for the rich in verses 17 through 19. 
So my first point or my third point here, the danger of the love of money. We've looked at the description and the detection, now the danger. And this is in verses 6 through 10. So Paul says in verse 10 that there are, well, actually take verse 9 first. Listen to who he addresses. He doesn't address the rich in verses 6 through 10. He addresses the rich in verses 17 through 19. But he addresses those who desire to be rich in verses 6 through 10. So this is hitting all of us. All right? It's hitting those who have the absence of income or wealth and those who have it. So we're all going to be addressed by God through the Apostle Paul this morning. But godliness with contentment, verse 6, is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here's what I want to do. What evils does the love of money produce? All right, so we're going to talk about three of these in this passage. What are three evils that the love of money tends to produce in our lives? Here's the first one. The love of money wars against satisfaction and contentment and increases our susceptibility to build our lives around the accumulation of stuff. I'll read it one more time. The love of money wars against satisfaction and contentment and increases our susceptibility to build our lives around the accumulation of stuff. Now, why is that evil? It's evil because none of that stuff matters. In the end, right? That's why it's evil. It's evil. God has given you a life and breath to be lived in love for him and love for others. And you're pouring it out on stuff that's going to burn. Or that's going to rot or that's going to be left to people. But you're not taking it with you when you go to see him. And that's his point in verses 7 and 8. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. See how the love of money wars against that. It tempts us to build our lives on the accumulation of more and more and more stuff, whether it's little stuff over a long period of time or big stuff. And such things, such pursuits have a tendency to choke out what really matters. This is why Jesus told the parable of the soils. Mark 4, remember when he said that some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And then when he interpreted the parable, he said that the seed is the word of God and that the seed sown among thorns was to be interpreted like this, quote, the cares of the world and the delight in riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So that's why it's evil. It wars against what God's up to in our lives and what God wants to do with our lives. If the word of God is God's change agent, then our pursuit of more stuff is to set ourselves against him. Because we're basically inviting, here, let's invite more into my life that will choke God's word out. I want to keep doing more things that are going to keep me from hearing the voice of God. So I'm going to be doing this and doing this and getting this and getting this and planning on that and planning on that. And we're totally preoccupied. 
Now, you can have lots and lots of money and not do that at all. And you can have very, very little money and be eaten up with it. So just because, and the Bible teaches us this, just because a person has a lot of money doesn't mean they love it at all. And just because a person has a little bit, they could be eaten up with the love of money like crazy. And they're poor because of it. So, the love of money wars against contentment and increases our susceptibility to build our lives around the accumulation of stuff. And that's evil because God wants something better for us than just having stuff. He wants a better life for us. And being preoccupied with stuff keeps us from gold. True gold. And we'll talk about that as we go through here. All right, number two, what's another danger that the love of money tends to produce? The love of money makes us vulnerable to soul destruction, which is hell. The love of money makes us vulnerable to soul destruction. Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, listen to all this language, fall into temptation into a snare Greek word for trap. And it's not a trap you see that, you know, you're even in into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you think Paul is using graphic language? I mean, fall, temptation, snare, senseless, harmful, plunge, ruin, destruction. It's dangerous to love it. It's dangerous. Now, why do I say it makes us vulnerable to many soul-destroying desires and soul destruction? Because of what's, what Paul says after He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Verse 10, it is through this craving, that is the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith that is departed from Jesus and pierced themselves with many pangs. So they brought trouble into their life, but they've also destroyed their soul in the process. They've wandered away from Christ. So the reason that I'm sure that this destruction that Paul's talking about is not some temporary financial fiasco, but final destruction in hell is because what Paul says in verse 10 and what he reiterates in verse 12 and 11. Keep reading after verse 10, verse 11. But as for you, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things. Don't pursue the love of money. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. saying, take hold of eternal life. Don't love money because if you love it, you're going to be tempted to not take hold of eternal life, which is going to lead you away from the Lord to hell. So what's at stake in fleeing the love of money and fighting the fight of faith is eternal life. And there's a way to use our money that forfeits eternal life, not because eternal life can be bought, but because the use of our money shows where our hope is. Or as verse 10 says, through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and impaled themselves with many pangs, pierced themselves. So, and that leads us to perhaps 
That's why it's evil. It's evil to expose ourselves to that which will destroy us. But there's another reason, and maybe the, maybe the most important reason, as to why the love of money produces evil. And what evil does it produce? It's the, it's the temptation to set our hope on something other than God himself. That's the great evil of the love of money. And there are millions of our fellow citizens who are doing it right now. And there are some in this church who are doing it right now. The love of money tempts us to set our hope on something other than God himself. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge charge them not to be haughty, arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he says to the rich in this present age, which is all of us, charge them not to be arrogant. What is arrogance? It's pride. It's self-reliance. It's to turn away from relying upon God, turn away from leaning upon God and do it yourself. It's the American way. We do it ourselves. So this tendency to become arrogant, that's why Paul warns. He says, listen, if you're rich in the present age, notice he doesn't tell them, get rid of all your money. Stop being rich. He doesn't say that. He says, you've been entrusted with a great blessing. Make sure it doesn't become a curse. Here's how. Here's how. Don't let it make you arrogant. Looking down on others, feeling self-reliant, feeling you're a self-made man. Don't let, it be, don't let it do that to you. Rather, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Be gone just like that. And in the end, it's going to be gone anyway. Don't set your hope on that. It's a tendency. We can set our hopes on that. But set it on God who richly provides us with everything you enjoy. You see the evil there that it can do? It can make us set our hope on something other than God. And God says in Jeremiah 2.13 that that's evil to do. He uses the word evil. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Love of money is a broken cistern. It's a cistern that we look to to draw satisfaction from, to draw safety from, to draw security from, ultimate security. And what Paul is saying here is what the psalmist says in Psalm 62.10. Quote, if riches increase, don't set your heart on them. If riches increase, don't set your heart on them. It's an Old Testament idea. It's a New Testament idea. Where the presence of riches is in our lives, we need to be careful where our heart goes. Very careful. And so that's the danger. That's the danger. And Paul lays it out for us in verses 6 through 10. Now let me close with the deliverance. Because that's where we need to be. And that's where we need to live. How can we get delivered from this love that is in all of our hearts? All of us. The, the seed, at least in seed form. It's all present there. It can blossom if we feed it. So I want to say four things. I think verses 17 through 19 give us some really clear direction as to how we're to handle the love of money and the temptation 
of it. So he says in verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So the first thing we do is we step, if we, if we step back and we say, I need to be aware of this. You feel the danger in your heart. That's the first step. That's, the, that's a grace step. If that happens, God is at work. If you feel that danger, if you feel that susceptibility, if you say, I got this, I'm good. No, you're haughty and you're arrogant and you're headed for destruction. But if you say, this is a danger, this is what God's word says is a danger, I need to be aware of it. I need to be aware that I can subtly shift my hope. And if you do that and you're aware of it and you're conscious of it, the chances of you falling prey to it will be significantly minimalized. Significantly, if you're aware of it. So, the first thing we need to do is we need to repent. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean we need to agree with what God's word says. That's, that's first and foremost to what repentance is. It's agreeing with God. It's saying, yes, God, I see myself there. Yes, God, that's me. Yes, God, that could be me. God, I need you. That's repentance. That's where it starts. So we have to start there. We have to start with a realization that we can set our hope on that which is uncertain. And we need to instead fix our eyes, fix our heart, fix our mind on what is certain. So that's where we start to get delivered. You recognize it. You repent. You acknowledge this is me. This is God. This is I'm. I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm going to be humble before your word. I'm going to acknowledge that this is very, very possible for me. And then you need to replace it. You don't just need to recognize it and repent of it. You need to replace it, which means we need to replace the root. And at, at the root is the temptation to set our hope on something other than God himself. Listen, money and the love of it is not your friend to the end. It is not going to always be there for you. God is the only one that can do that. And we have to remember, we have to replace it with truths like this. Like Ecclesiastes 5.11. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with gain. This also is vanity. So that's God's word about money. And we replace our idea. We say, wait, I'm not going to be satisfied with that and what it can get me. That's not going to ultimately satisfy me. It's not going to satisfy those who love it. So if we believe him, we're going to turn away from the love of money. We'll see it as the dead end street that it is. And Luke 12, 15, Jesus reminds us in similar language when he says, beware of all covetousness, greed, love of money for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That is such a Love of money decimating verse. I love that verse. Because Jesus is speaking truth here. And he's saying, look, we tend to think opposite. We tend to think abundance of possessions, life. Life is there. That boat 
that vacation, that stuff. And he said, no, 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 no. And those aren't bad. Okay. Don't hear me saying bad. Just saying we're setting our hope there. We're looking to that for satisfaction. We're putting all of our energy there, focus there. We get there and we go, oh, it's not life. It's not life. And we're getting the warning on the front end. So we don't have to waste our time doing that. We look in and we say, okay, there's the abundance of possessions. Here's life in Christ Jesus. When Christ, Colossians 3, 4, who is your life? He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the life, not that stuff. Man's life does not consist in that stuff. It's not where life is. And so, if the word of the Lord ever needed confirming, feel free to go try it. Please don't. But if you do, you will find it to be true. And there are plenty of people in here who already tried it. And they'll tell you. So you can get confirmation from them as well. There are enough miserable rich people in the world to prove that the satisfied life does not come from having things. So we need to repent. We need to recognize what it is for what it is. We need to replace it with the truth of God's word. And then we need to rest our souls in Jesus. We need to rest in him and his provision and be lavish and generous to disentangle our affections from money and to receive a better blessing in its place. And that's what Paul says for the rich to do. He says in verse 17, set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't you love that? God's not stingy and miserly. He says, don't set your hope on what riches can provide for you. Set your hope on what God can provide for you. And he provides it for our enjoyment. So he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he's, we got a vision of God here. We get a, he's trying to give us a vision of God that's not stingy and miserly. Because that's not going to convince you not to love money. What, I give this up and he doesn't give me anything. He's not, he's not offering joy. He's not offering satisfaction. No, you say no to this. This is not a man's life does not consist in the abundance of that consists in the abundance of him, of him set our hope on him who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, there are, they are to do good. Those who are rich, they are to do good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So he, he channels our pursuit in another direction, doesn't he? He says, okay, rest your hope, set your hope on the God who richly provides you with everything to enjoy. Meet your needs, satisfy some wants, and then give a lot away. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Eager, generous, rich in good works. Quick to let it go. Jesus says, uh, reminds us to not lay up our, our treasure on earth, but in heaven, Matthew 6, he said that we should use our money to provide purses that do not grow old and a heavenly treasure that does not fail. Luke twelve thirty three. Luke 16, 9, he said that we should use our money to secure for ourselves a welcome into the eternal habitations. 
Why can we rest in him knowing that he will take care of us, that he will provide us with the best of all lives as we generously and lavishly disentangle our affections from the love of money to be lavish and generous and to receive a better blessing in its place. Why does he say that? Because Jesus himself did that. Jesus gave up everything he had. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And that's not primarily financial. Contra everything on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. (laughs) Not everything. There's some good stuff on there, I'm sure. But this richness that he's going to give us is a rich and full and contented and satisfied life as we follow him as Lord and Savior. Not as we hope he keeps dropping good stuff on us all the time. It's him. It's his purpose. It's his way. And those who have rested most deeply in him and walked most closely in him and laid it all out in lavish generosity for him know what the good life is. They know what the good life is. And they have confirmed and verified that when Jesus says man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, he was speaking the truth. If we're following our Lord, if our call is to follow in his steps, then we who are rich are being being willing to make ourselves poor so that others might be made rich. In other words, we give our lives for his purposes. We give our money for his purposes. We give our... And yes, paying our rent and buying our groceries is for his purpose. As you feed those people in your house, loving others. So don't hear me say, okay, don't anybody go, okay. What Pastor Mark was saying this morning is he wants me to go to the bank account and write a big old check of everything I have and give it to the church. No, but you should be giving 10 to it at least. You should be giving generously. I don't want it. I want your soul to be with him and to be freed from any danger that I might be called upon when you're 65 because for the last 35 years you've been quietly pursuing the love of money and now you're in an absolute wreck. And I don't want that for you. I want you to know the life of lavish generosity, of meeting your needs, of providing for your family, of working and earning and saving. I want you to know all that blessing and God's provision for you and then the blessing that comes when you say, you know what? We got this. We weren't expecting this. Any needs I can meet? What will get us there? What will bring our hearts there? It's only going to get there if we believe verse 19 with all of our hearts. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, the wisest and best of all investments. No stock market crash here. So that they may take hold of that which is truly 
life. Take hold of that which is truly life. If you're not aware of it, I hope you are. America is selling us 24 hours a day a false life. And it's working overtime to get us young. That's why all the marketing goes there. Here's the good life. Go after it. People will praise you. People will honor you. People will look up to you. You'll have more than they have. This will draw the attention of the world. So devote your life to that. And we're not even thinking about what draws the attention of God. And we're missing out on what is truly life. So take hold of that which is truly life. If we believe that, we'll live in accord with it. And if we believe verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great loss. Is that what the verse says? Godliness with contentment is great loss. You want to lose your life? Just be content. Be godly. That's gone. That's, that's, you're going to lose. That's boring. No, he says godliness with contentment is great gain. And not just gain, great gain. Because it's truly life. As he says in verse 19. So he says Christians ought to live for greater gain than the slick money lovers live for live for greater gain godliness is the way to get this great gain but only if we are content rather than greedy so i close with this tim keller writes to rejoice is to treasure a thing to assess its value to you to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks that it needs. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when we believe that, when we believe we get God and he's never going away, that he's truly life, that his ways are the best ways, that godliness with contentment is great gain. We will be content with what we have. And we will keep our lives free from the love of money. May God help us day by day, as Paul Tripp reminded us in that beginning quote, to receive it as a blessing and not as a curse. And the way we handle it and the way we steward it and the way we rely upon God to give us grace to do that will be the path forward. So let's pray. Father, thank you for examining our hearts this morning with your word and searching us out and knowing us and seeing if there is any wicked way in us. We pray along with Psalm 139 that you would search us, O God, and know us. And that if there is any wicked way in us, you would lead us out and lead us in the way everlasting. Teach us to know your way, O Lord. Teach us to rest in you. Teach us to hope in you. Help us to just 
to understand and to be able to detect this by your grace. Shine the searchlight of your word and your spirit into our hearts. Help us to see the danger, but more than that, help us to rejoice in the deliverance. The great joy that we have in the God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, the true life that comes from him, and the great gain that comes in godliness with contentment. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.